More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Has the future of family businesses changed? On this episode of the Family Business Voice, we spoke to Anders Sorman Nielsen, futurist and family business member, about how COVID-19 has changed our outlook on the world and our appetite for technology, and how this will affect family businesses and their future. Enjoy this episode with Anders. So Anders, very nice to have you back on the Family Business Voice. And again, with Thoroughup Magazine, thank you very much for making the time. We appreciate it. Great to be back. Fantastic. And also under, and of course, we called you back because it, this is the kind of situation and this is the kind of atmosphere that we have around us these days where, you know, talking to a futurist is pretty much the thing you'd want to like to do every single day because you'd really want to know what's going to happen because what's going to happen is on everybody's minds these days. So everyone is trying to predict the future. Everyone is trying to understand what is going to happen next. And so everyone's eyes are really looking forward and trying to make sense of the situation and how it will unfold. So I think first, a bit of a personal question for you. What has it been like for you since this pandemic started or since people have started becoming aware that this is going to actually become a pandemic and not just like an epidemic uh, around the Asian countries? What has been sort of the reaction? What have you seen in terms of an uptake? Like what has changed about the job that you have? Well, the good news about being a futurist is you always do get looked to, particularly in, you know, in disruptive periods like this, people are looking for, you know, signal in the noise. So even in terms of my own business, certainly there's been parts of my business that have been upended and others that have fully scaled up, right? So on the upside, what I think is really, really positive is just the rise and the need and the you know, attraction to strategic planning processes like scenario planning, which is one of the areas where we specialize. So we've been doing a lot of scenario planning, not just for our business, but of course, for client businesses around the world where they're looking further afield and really, you know, kind of asking, asking themselves two primary questions on the one hand or, you know, on the X axis in some ways, right? How long is this economic freeze or the recession going to last? Is it three months, six months? Is it two, three, four, five years? Mm. That's been one of the big unknowns. And then, you know, we've placed on the Y axis to build alternative futures with those clients. The big question of when it comes to, you know, rebuilding confidence and Mm. trust with customers and consumers, you know, is it increasingly going to be in the virtual world via the virtual interface that humans rebuild trust? Or is it going to be a sort of a back to business as usual, analog face to face? Mm. So that's been a kind of a starting point for a bunch of businesses that we've been doing scenario planning with. So that type of thought experiment has become really, really popular during this crisis. On the other hand, I also have to say that, you know, I used to travel the world up to 240 international travel days a year. I was year. going to say, you used to travel a lot. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. All carbon offset, I should say. But I used to travel a lot. And uh, of course, you know, from early March, the dominoes sort of fell away. So pretty much all my, you know, analog, this is the irony, right, of being, of being a futurist. People still paid you to turn up in physical reality, <laughs> in a conference <laughs> venue, in a hotel, uh, yeah. to tell science 
fiction stories, essentially. And uh, so all of those have been pretty much postponed. There's, you know, there's stuff in the calendar for like September, October, uh, but a lot of it was just, you know, we're just going to hold out for 2021. It would be very interesting for us to understand. So what is the most frequently asked question that you've had over the last sort of like three to four months since this pandemic has officially become a thing from family business leaders? Like, you know, has it been around, okay, I really need the next generation to take charge now? Or like, you know, what do I do? Like, is it all about digitalization? So what has been the main concern, like, you know, that you've, that you've seen them bring up? You know, you step into the room and you sense which, which family businesses are, you know, are really functional and, and whose values and whose approach to education and curiosity and learning and development and the fact that things aren't static around here, you know, those are really the businesses that will get through this and who've had to, you know, that mindset of, you know, you do prepare for a rainy day. You make hay while the sun is shining. You fix the roof, you know, before the rain comes. And I think those lessons have really, you know, come into strong contrast or stark relief during COVID as a, you know, as a black swan event. You know, if you didn't prepare, then, uh, you know, when it happened, you know, it was simply too late. So I think some of those old age, old wisdoms have, you know, really come back mm-hmm. into play. So I think the, the questions that come up from our clients all around the world are, you know, depending on how long this from freeze to thaw will take what does that mean in terms of how our business models and how consumer behavior etc will shift yes because maybe the shorter it is the sooner we'll go back to maybe you know business as usual but the longer we have the more normal it becomes to meet people via zoom you know the more normal it becomes not to go to a conference the more normal it becomes to, you know, just transact on e-commerce, the more normal it becomes not to buy champagne from the other side of the world, but to support your super hyper-localized, you know, businesses to do sparkling wine because it's mm. hyper-local. And so, you know, some of those questions really abound. And then the other ones would be around, you know, do we now double down on digital or where's the room for the face-to-face and the analog human meeting? There seem to be still two schools of thought, right? Like there seems to be like, you know, there are many schools of thought, but like I think there's sort of two camps when it comes to that. You still feel like there's a, there's a large percentage of people expecting to just wait this out and just reprise things as they used to be at the back end of this, right? Like, so COVID is something we just have to buckle down and survive. We have to somehow like outstay it, right? Like, and we have to sort of like, and at the other end, business will pick up as usual. And you have the other side of businesses that I talk to that seem to be absolutely convinced this is a definitive turning point. You know, it's never going to go back entirely as it was before. Some things will, but mostly we're looking at a, at a very different uh, economy globally. So, where do you position yourself and your opinion in that spectrum? Like, you know, what do you believe about, um, you know, the term, particularly challenging the term business as usual? I keep thinking about that question because it is obviously critical to the amount of money that you invest into, you know, flipping mm. your business model, right? In our case, for example, you know, is it, is it that all conferences in the future are going to be virtual? 
So in other words, do we just build our own, you know, TV studio so that you can deliver presentations and strategy workshops, you know, virtually all of the time? Or do we have a sense that, you know, people learn better face-to-face and that, you know, people will want to risk to turn up in a hotel or at a strategy retreat, et cetera? I don't think, again, that it's going to be an either or. I do think that, you know, the future is a blend of the analog and and the digital. Yes. It's very much going to be digilog. But I do think we've had a big push away from, I guess, the non-questioning attitude about, you know, which conferences, which meetings are really essential, which ones do we need to fly to, to the other side of the world or whatever it happens to be. So I do think that there's going to be some like a massive readjustment in terms of how we approach which meetings, conferences, et cetera, that we go to because we've all become so comfortable with a new digital interface and we understand that it can be quite productive and effective. Now, Mm. at the same time, there's big questions around the efficacy and how people actually learn. So there are studies when it comes to, you know, language acquisitions and, and maths, for example, and they've, you know, They've done uh, tests on students from even charter schools and private American schools uh, for kids mm. that only learn interface to interface versus the public schools who have analog face-to-face meetings. And even the ones who are less funded and who are public have better educational outcomes and the people only learning interface to interface have you know, a lower Uh, comprehension in terms of language acquisition and maths they're running behind so you know either that just says that you know teachers are not very good at you know transmitting information via the digital interface or the digital interface is not sophisticated enough yet for kids to really learn but you know this is also important from from a hr perspective right how do we actually Mm -hmm. engage and teach our leaders of tomorrow when we talk about specifically the technologies, and I don't want to go into too much of a nerd off with you because I think we could get carried away, but still, I still think it's very interesting for us to talk to you about the technology stage that we are at now, especially in relation to artificial intelligence and how it can help us create businesses that are leaner, potentially, right? Like that are more agile in that sense of that, that helps us cut some of the overhead that makes us, you know, very uh, at risk in times like COVID, for instance, which is now a real possibility for pandemics are a real possibility. I think everyone's convinced now. So AI or any other technology that you can think of, what do you think is going to be the outcome for AI, for instance, from this situation? Are we going to see increased investment? Are we going to see increased usage? Both, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just wondering at whether you think that now the consciousness towards where we are with AI and what it can do for us already, if it's really sinking in and whether we're going to see increased investment towards development. Yeah, so, I mean, this is always the case when it comes to, you know, what do we forecast and, you know, our behavior is going to shift? Is it going to be business as usual? I mean, I think while, you know, the business world's been, you know, hibernating a little bit, you know, machines and AI didn't stop learning. Mm. You know, they didn't stop developing because there's more data. There's more data to feed the beast. You know, mm. so one of the biggest mistakes for any family business or any business for that matter during this period is just to go, you know, it's going to be business as usual. You know, we'll mm. go back to what things were like. 
that is such an anti-innovation mindset uh, and it might feel really good in that comfort zone, but don't expect that the world hasn't shifted mm. when you come out of this. That's not to say that I'm overestimating human ability to change because, you know, humans don't like changing. So humans don't change at the speed or the exponential speed at which, you know, certainly robots and AI machines have been learning. You know, my worry is not the machines or AI getting more sophisticated. It's that humans aren't learning. Within the, the idea of like, you know, do you stay with your business model or not? Like a lot of family businesses that we both know have global supply chains. And I think that that is also something that, of course, we've seen massively disrupted, you know, at scale right now, because, um, and, and of course, only a pandemic could have done that. Only a pandemic could have, A, demonstrated how, how globally integrated we are. We, we've known from 2008 that the financial markets have been extremely integrated, seen that symmetrical shock happen. But I think the supply chains, it's been very revealing this crisis to see how dependent we have become on the global supply chain. Going forward, what is your opinion on you know, geographic diversification when it comes to your supply chain? And do you think that is now considered a high risk strategy? So in other words, do you expect to see, aside from adoption of new, of new technologies or more technological solutions, do you expect localization of production for a lot of businesses? Yeah, so I think that there'll definitely be some of that. One of my forum members in the Entrepreneurs' Organization, um, they're also family business, Australian manufacturers of furniture. And they manufacture for all the, you know, all the big Australian furniture stores and homeware stores, and their business is booming because these other stores who also before used to buy from China are now doubling down on Australian made. So you're certainly going to see some of that hyper-localization, the, the rise of local manufacturing again, probably including like 3D, 3D printing and, and new mm. types of additive manufacturing as well. I think the race to the bottom when it comes to you know shifting your manufacturing to the market where it's the cheapest for the cheapest labor etc i think we've shown a light on that that there is a certain danger and i think one of the the emerging professions in this world will be to have a you know a black swan risk manager we wrote about this yeah. in the report we've just released for ing bank on the future of work but you know this is a black swan event could we have prepared for it you know, some people would say, yes, you know, a pandemic was always going to come. The question was when. And certainly the implications and, you know, the lockdowns we've all been in, you know, has highlighted how exposed many supply chains have been and that there's been an over-reliance on China. So in some ways, this is potentially good news. Of course, you know, the question is, will consumers want to pay, you know, will businesses want to pay what it costs to have a manufacturing renaissance in their own countries when so much of that had been offshored, you know, remains to be seen. But certainly will, you know, provide a lot of opportunities. And we're already seeing, you know, manufacturers also shifting and pivoting their business models to where the demand is. For you, main things that you look forward to in a, I don't even know if we can say post-COVID uh, economy because what is going to be post-COVID? Like, and we will probably never know if nobody has it anymore, but like in a, let's put it this way, in a COVID-adjusted economy, yeah. silver yeah. lining in a COVID-adjusted economy, what do you look forward to 
What are you excited about and should others be excited about too in your view? You know, pandemics have had a historic tendency to lead to social mobility, to, you know, reviews around, you know, some of the assumptions around, you know, labor force and, and how the labor force gets deployed. Um, you know, whether it's the Black Plague, for example, you know, being a precursor potentially to the first renaissance or even the Spanish flu leading to the deployment of women in the workforce and, you know, setting the stage for universal suffrage, etc. You know, these massive disruptions have led to new opportunities, right? And certainly mm. you know, old orders have been questioned. The status mm. quo often gets redefined. And I would argue that we are at the early dawn now of what I term a second renaissance. And part of that renaissance is the fact that You know, just like Leonardo da Vinci was inventing labor-saving devices and machines, for example, we are now seeing more of a focus on artificial intelligence and machines doing more of the menial work so that mm. humans can actually focus more on meaningful work, which mm. should, you know, sound like beautiful music to many family businesses' ears. And part of that will be us spending less time punching spreadsheets and doing data entry, even at you know, high levels of, of organizations, we see some of that behavior, but actually focus on more strategy, innovation, creativity, you know, interpersonal, bringing back you know, the human touch, thinking more sustainably, not just for our generations, but for the next few generations, thinking about you know, the planet. And so I think that, you know, family businesses as stewards of, you know, legacy, I also think that they will play an even more important role together with large corporates as well when it comes to really, you know, looking after the earth. There is also the fear that climate change could actually release new superbugs and that maybe COVID-19 was in maybe in some ways just a dress rehearsal for more challenging superbugs to come. And so certainly, you know, investing sustainably and ethically, I think is something that we'll really see being front of mind as we've seen that, you know, the race to the bottom supply chains and, you know, in dictatorships, et cetera, is maybe not the most sustainable business model, you know, moving forward. Fantastic. Andrzej. I think let's all just create those, build those future buffers, redefine profitability accordingly, right? Like and make sure that we're ready for whatever comes next. It, it has been an eye opener. I agree with you of what is actually possible. I think for many of us, it was a very abstract possibility so far. And now we know it's there. It can happen anytime. And I think a lot of great advice from your end as to how we can adapt our thinking to make sure that it doesn't have to be a catastrophic or a business ending event, but it can be something that actually propels us forward and something that can help us even maybe accelerate getting to the next stage. So thank you so much for your insights. Really appreciate it. Thanks for yeah, being the founder of Business Voice. It's my pleasure. And I think um, my, you know, my final reflection would be to say that, you know, I think the only way that, you know, family tradition and, and values can actually live on is through the adoption of technology, agility, and curiosity. And I would like to see as a family business futurist, more family businesses really bringing together, you know, the best of tradition and technology, the best of the analog and the best of the digital together, seamlessly interweaving them to make sure that they also have a future and, uh, and can ensure a better world for future generations. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now. 
on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.